Welcome back. So much to talk about on the roundtable today, and we have a great panel for you. Do we ever? Let's introduce them. Steve Musquet is the Tallahassee Bureau Chief for the Tampa Bay Times, and you also see his stories in the Miami Herald. He is a veteran also of WPLG Channel 10. Stephen Johnson once again chairs Miami-Dade County's Black Affairs Advisory Board, an attorney with the Lidecker-Diaz firm, president of 100 Black Men of South Florida, and here again, our friend Ed Pizzoli, president of the Tripp Scott Law Firm in Fort Lauderdale, and a big voice in Republican Party politics. To all of you, great Good to morning. have you Good morning. come morning. in again. Once and again, Steve. we're missing the women. Well, <laughs> we'll <got> you. <laughs> you will represent uh, the female point of view. And we'll be outnumbered. <laughs> and, uh, well, I may we, use that in a promo. <laughs> there you, <laughs> you know, Steve, let me, let me begin by asking you, you spent all this time in Tallahassee. After the Stoneman Douglas massacre, uh, the legislature, they didn't do anything after the Pulse nightclub shooting in which 49 people died. But after Stoneman Douglas, they were in session. It was imperative. And they did, in fact, pass. Uh, relatively modest, but they passed a law you know, raising the age uh, from uh, 18 to 21 to buy a gun, banning bump stocks, and uh, they did something. Right. Uh, what about Congress? What do you think now in, in light of this latest massacre in Pittsburgh? I'm still skeptical. I don't see Congress doing anything. And the legislature's action last February was way out of character for them because they are notorious for really not addressing the serious problems that face this state. So, but, but the the level of, of concern, the level of outrage and, and, and despair was so overwhelming after Stoneman. So, yeah. Yeah, and was, and yeah. not only the level of outrage, there were parents who, they were in session when it happened. There were parents and students who showed up face to face and, and worked with them. The emotion was there, but then there were, the emotion subsided and they Get me to yes. They wanted to. So, Ed, you know, you, you had mentioned it was modest reforms. Yeah, which, I don't. Th I don't think it was modest. Well, they were modest reforms in the in the big picture, but for this legislature, but they were to, yeah, that it was monumental in this legislature to get what they got. They not only got what they got, they got to a place where not only did they do some of the things you just mentioned, but they also impacted where I thought they should have impacted. School safety, how do you mm -hmm. harden the buildings, put fun funding behind that, you know, requiring a SRO at every building. Right. And All red, of those things. Red, red, red flag law. Red flag law. You yeah. know, a, a red flag law that allowed people to go to the courthouse and address maybe preventing somebody like a Nicholas, you know, Nicholas Cruz event. You know, that, that's a, the hardening is such an interesting point because at this synagogue, mm -hmm. Stephen, the, the doors were open and there was a reaction yesterday. Oh my gosh, the doors were open, but my gosh, it's a synagogue. Church doors are open, synagogue doors are open, mosque doors come in. This is a, a yeah. place of peace to pray. Where do, but in our national zeitgeist at the moment, You've got to lock your doors. But do you? Let me say this, and, and, and I say this as the only black man at the table. These events, these black swan terrible events, they shock our conscience. Yes. However, gun violence is a very real and almost daily occurrence in black neighborhoods throughout South Florida as well as throughout the country. We are looking at these black swan events and saying, oh, let's change. But every day, 
there are children who have to hear gunshots in their neighborhood, and no one says a word. Well, that's well, we, we've I, talked a lot about that exact topic right be, here at this because table. Because it, it seems to me, it, it, it does seem to me that the answer is, is not putting someone armed at the synagogue, as our president suggested, but the answer is actually making some smart decisions about who can and who cannot have a gun in this country. And how do you do that without infringing on people's rights? Well, I'm, I'm infringing on their rights. I, what right do you have to a high, occup high, high uh, occupancy magazine? What right do you have to an AR-47 AR in the middle of an a, a urban center? Now, what the conversation, rights do you the, have? The conversation about the need to have people armed in churches and synagogues parallels the argument we had after the shooting at the Fort Lauderdale Airport, mm -hmm. uh, where nearly two years ago, right? right, where the discussion was, you know, the NRA said and others said gun-free zones put people in danger. They don't make people safer. So we're going to have that debate all over again, apparently. Based and, on and, and I think that's a legitimate debate, to be frank. I mean, but I do think Steve makes a great point. Every day, places like South Side of Chicago and other places are rampant with gun violence, and no one says a word. And, and here's the problem. When you look at, say, places like South Side of Chicago, they have the strictest gun laws in this country and are not impacting gun violence in that community. There is more to it than that, and we've got to get to some of that. And some of what the bill that the legislature passed that you called modest, I happen to disagree with you, Michael. I don't think it was modest because it, it, it covered more than just you know the the gun control issue it went to mental health issue it went to hardening of the facilities it wasn't just a a one little blip issue it tried yeah. to take the comprehensive approach for the first time and i'll be blunt with you that the, the governor did a great job in threading the needle between the interest to get an agreement on where the most impactful uh, pieces of that legislation. And, and is it going to solve the issue? No, but it was a great start. And I got to give the legislature great credit for that and the governor as well. Well, I, for the record, I'm not taking away credit to the governor or to the legislature. Thank goodness they did something. I just am part of the argument that they could have done something a little more, but more. anyway, grateful what they did. All right, we're going to have more roundtable right after a quick break. Welcome back live in our studio this morning, a really great roundtable with Ed Fazzoli, Steve Vasquez, and Stephen Johnson. Uh, Ed, on, on Wednesday night, you were not there, but you had worked with Ron DeSantis that day, helping him prepare for the big gubernatorial debate that happened over at uh, Broward College. I was there to, to cover that. Um, I thought, frankly, one of the most interesting moments of that evening was when Andrew Gillum said about the F Hamilton tickets that he received when he went to New York in 2016 with uh, his buddy Adam Corey and Mike Miller, who turned out to be an undercover FBI agent. Andrew Gillum had said for months he got the Hamilton ticket from his brother and thought it was part of a, an exchange of a ticket that he, you know, his brother gave up to a Jay-Z concert. For the first time, he said, no, you know, um, we saw these emails, these texts that show, showed he knew it. And he said, well, I should have asked more questions. How much is that going to hurt him? I think it hurts him. I mean, look, local corruption, that's what local corruption looks like in a certain sense, where you have a quid pro quo from a, uh, either a developer or a pro, uh, FBI agent posing as a developer trying to gain favor, curry favor with a local elected official. 
But, but well, look, what was the quote? The quote well, was the ticket well, and the, the, well, the trip, the hotel room, maybe. Maybe. And, and Adam Corey certainly was an active entrepreneur in the Tallahassee area and gained favor with city government through, the, and, through his relationship the with campaign, the mayor. Campaign treasurer. Through the, yeah, through his relationship with the mayor. But, but look, in the end, this race is about where do we go in the future with Florida, which is something I think either can, neither candidate talked about. And, and I'll give you an example. The Cato Institute just found Florida to be, again, the number one state, freest state in the country. That's what we should be talking about. Why do we want to change? What, what, what do you mean the freest, freest state? When, from a standpoint of no income tax, our tax policy, our fiscal policy, our personal freedom. free. No, both financially and personal when you rank up, rank up against other states. New York is dead last. It's 50th. I don't want New York structured government here in Florida. I don't want that. Well, I want Florida and, and entrepreneurial <laughs> entrepreneurial growth here. I want jobs. We, you know, we have Stephen's more people. Ready to talk. We have more people. We have more jobs than people are looking for jobs in the state All of Florida. Right, so That's awesome. Jump right in there. Uh, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was in, about Stephen. to say. Look, listen. Florida can be the freest state in the world, but we have the the lowest, some of the lowest paid teachers in America, right? We just talked about gun violence and the effect of gun violence, and we're not willing to fund our teachers in a livable salary. Uh, Miami-Dade County is just talking about putting subsidized and workforce housing on school property so that the teachers can have some place to live. And God bless her, my mother is a teacher, so I grew up on a teacher's salary. It is not wealth and riches, right? If we're not willing to invest in our teachers, and this is something that Andrew has, has again and again and again said, then we're not investing in Florida. And that's the point. If we're not willing to invest in our education, then we're not really investing in Florida. We're just living right now hey, on borrowed time. With nine days to go, this electorate is as polarized yeah. in Florida mm -hmm. as it has ever been. Mm -hmm. I've covered every governor's race yeah, in this state since 1986. Uh, they're polarized not just along party lines, but along race and gender. And I've never seen an election for governor or U.S. Senate with this low and undecided. You can always count on 10 or 15 percent of mm -hmm. those passive voters thinking, geez, I don't know who to vote for on next Tuesday. The undecided is 2 percent, 3 percent. So that's, this turnout is going to be critical, uh, extremely critical, as mo more so than it's ever been. So right, but, there, but there are two wedge issues. There are two potential wedge issues. One is uh, school choice, where a majority min of minority parents have exercised their right to go to either a charter school or a school choice program, by the way, which I'm not so sure where the Mayor Gillum is on those issues. He's very wishy-washy with respect to charter schools and that choice to empower parents. That's one. And, that's, and then the second one is the move of the, of the embassy, of our embassy to Israel. He criticized the president on moving that and saying it was an unnecessary provocation when every president from Bush Sr., Clinton, Obama, all said it should be moved. Trump did it, and Andrew Gillum said, no, nah, it's unnecessary provocation. You know, evil, evil, look, evil grows, necessary, you know, the necessary thing for evil to grow is when good men do nothing. In fact, Mayor Gillum did nothing on that, and honestly, that's where you have to stand. In, in fairness to, to Mayor Gillum, there's not much he could do about where the United States places its embassy in Israel. However, when you're talking about what is best for the state of Florida and Flor Floridians, we need to invest in 
our school systems. And let's be honest and clear. No, 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 but let's be honest and clear. What he has said is he is not in favor of for-profit charter schools. That has been his position. It, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist under the law. Every charter school is run by a non-profit entity, can, period, in the story. Can I just jump those in? Those management I, companies are for-profit. I want to go back in the time we have. Steve was talking about the, that independent vote. For people who are truly undecided at this point, what? who watch those debates, I, I'm going to guess you want to see the two guys that you're going to mm -hmm. decide between. You watch the debates. Did those debates move a needle? I think so. Now, so. this this depends on the on your point of view, of course. But the independent <laughs> independents are about eighteen percent of those who are voting. With an election with two percent yeah. undecided, they are critical. I think that um, I think that there is an issue here. I found it. Uh, I, I went to early voting sites in Broward County on Saturday, and I heard people, Democrats and Republicans, mention the tickets yeah. and mention the tickets were uh, and the uh, debates were, as well. I'm going to have to okay. interrupt you, but yep. we are out of time. Okay. Thank you all for coming in. Very great roundtable.